grab your Bibles, whatever that looks like for you, whether you brought your own or you want to use the one in the seat back in front of you, uh, or you want to fire up an app on a phone or a tablet, whatever that looks like is all good with us. We want you to have eyes on Scripture as we walk through our passage today. It's going to be in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to walk through verses 1 through 13, and I think as we get to the end of that passage in, in 13, you'll hear something fairly familiar. That verse is perhaps one of the most famous um, Verses um, throughout from God's Bible or from Scripture, one that probably the most familiar, whether it's the most familiar or not, I almost guarantee it's the most tattooed on someone's skin, right? Uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, yeah, you've probably seen it on someone's skin. Uh, if not, perhaps you've seen it on someone's, uh, an athlete's clothing, right? A jersey or, or somewhere like that. Some of you are maybe old enough to remember uh, Evander Holyfield wearing it on his robe as he walked out to do some fights, uh, particularly Mike Tyson. Um, and he won that one, right? And so I, I, I got to imagine maybe there's some people after that fight looking that verse up and going, okay, what does that mean? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That must mean I can beat up Mike Tyson. Good job. Good way to go with Vander Holyfield, right? And then he wore it again to, beat, or to fight Linus Lewis, and it didn't go as well. So then you got to start wondering, like, well, did all things really mean all things? Or maybe there's some fine print, right? Maybe, maybe we missed something. Or if maybe that one was too old, maybe you recognize this guy, right? Tim Tebow. Um, this guy always had scripture on him, and this is one of the most common ones. And, um, you know, again, maybe it seemed kind of true when he was at Florida, but maybe there's fine print. You know, I can do all things except play pro football, right? <laughs> maybe. Oh, people, oh people, people love Tim Tebow. I'm not hating on him. I'm just saying it. I'm just saying, right? I'm just saying. Maybe not all things, right? Maybe there's some fine print. So it's funny to think about this because it's so common and so it's the most tattooed and the most misused verse in the the scripture because you see it in examples like that and you begin to wonder, okay, well, if it doesn't mean that I can kind of say it, claim it, put it on myself and make it, you know, and become my own personal Superman or whatever that looks like, then what does it mean, right? Like it cheapens it when we see it in those contexts and we think, okay, well, you know, it clearly it didn't work completely or maybe it's just a, you know, I, I don't know. It, it cheapens it. What does it mean? Does, is it just a kind of a flaky, you know, one-liner from Scripture that, you know, really actually doesn't have any power or meaning or, is, or, or are we missing something? Have we, have we misunderstood something? And so maybe, maybe you've never had it, you know, on your jersey. Maybe you, maybe you just claimed it. Maybe you didn't study for a test, right? And then that test is getting passed out at school and you're like, all right, I I got this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I will ace this test. And it's like, well, maybe, probably not, right? Like, and so we've misused this over and over and over again. And so uh, it can be discouraging, but I think if we, if we um, pause and kind of look at it, there is actually a deeper meaning. There is something else going on here that, that makes this make a lot more sense. And in fact, Paul writes this verse not to be about our athletic or intellectual abilities or things like that. Um, he writes it about something much more universal, much more common, and it's actually about how we achieve contentment. How we over and really, that sounds nice, but really, how we overcome anxiety, how we overcome worry, That's what Paul is talking about, and, and I think when we get into that, okay, now everybody wants to know exactly what Paul means whenever he writes, I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. Anybody, else, anybody in here struggle with worrying, anxiety? Show of hands, come on, mass confession, it's good for the soul, right? Thank you, 
not alone. Like anxiety, like where, Jesus says, ain't, none of you guys can add a single day to your life by worrying. And yet we do it anyway, don't we? It's so common. It's so easy to get caught up in and it grips our soul and it can really consume our life. And, and listen, for some of you, this is no joke, right? For some of you, like you're not laughing because like anxiety and worry like cripples your, your heart and affects you day to day. And others of you, if you're like me, you're like, well, I, I, don't, I don't, wouldn't really consider myself a worrier. But, like, it comes out in other ways, right? Like, for many of us, that, like, anxiety and worry actually leads us to our addiction, leads us to want to check out, sleep more, drink more, whatever it may be, right? Like, just watch TV. Like, we all deal with it differently, but we all carry this burden of worry. And, and, and really, what's behind that? We want control, right? Like we want to know that we want to know how this thing ends. We want to know, like, we, there's something in our life, whether it's relational tension, situational, um, health-wise, um, whatever it may be, like that, that we can't bring resolu- like we can't control, and we worry about how it's going to turn out, what's going to happen, will we have enough, will we, will we be enough, will this last, will that work? All of these things go through our mind and really can can drive us into a place of unhealth and despair. And so the good news is Paul has words for us. As we continue in this rich book of Philippians where he's writing again, this is Paul, their pastor, the one that planted the church. He's in prison, right? And he's writing back to his people, the people that he loves. Like these are people we met in Acts um, as we looked at the story of this church being planted, people that have names, right? Lydia and the, and the slave girl and the jailer. Well, some of them have names. We have, they have stories, right? Um, and, and these are particular, these are faces. These are not just, like, these are people Paul loves. And we've seen him um, praising where they've been and what they've done um, with following the Lord so far and encouraging them to keep going and remember that their story is a part of a bigger story, right? That is a part of uh, God's story and what gives us context to our life and really what is going to get at the heart of why we Worry and why we can actually have peace in the Lord is remembering that, man, this is not all about us, and therefore it doesn't all rely on us, right? Say it again. This, this life is not all about us, not all about you, and that may sound like bad news, but really that means that it's not all relying on you, and that's good news, right? And that can take the pressure off. So we want to look at this passage together. I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray, ask God to give us wisdom, and we'll walk through it. Uh, together. So Philippians 4, we want to read this all from uh, verse 1 to 13. Paul says this, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat, yeah, we don't know, Yudia, there we go, I said that earlier, and entreat Sintish, any of you guys looking for like baby names for baby girls, some good ones for you. Uh, I treat these women to agree in the Lord. Yes, I, all, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of, the fellow, of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly 
that now at length you had revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here it is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray. God, we believe, we confess that your word is authoritative, Lord, that we have to submit to it. But it's also, it's good, and it has life for us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would bring that life to bear on our hearts this morning as we, as we walk through this beautiful passage. Would you give us hearts to understand, eyes to see, and, and Lord, wisdom from, from your word in order to lead us to life. May we be receptive of that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Paul starts out with a word that is important. It says, therefore, right? Therefore, anytime you see that in Scripture, it's old cliche, but it helps you remember. Anytime you see therefore, you want to look and see what it's there for. Three of you got it. That's good. All right. When you see therefore, he's clearly referring to something that he has previously said. He's walked through this this passage, and and we looked at it in in, uh, last week's Sermon in chapter 3, whenever Paul has exhorted them to rejoice in the Lord, but to watch out for people who want to add things to the gospel, right? Watch out for people who say that, yeah, you, yes, Jesus, but you need to add some religious activity. You need to do these things. You need to do this thing. And Paul says, watch out for complacency. Don't think that, that you've received you know, this, this thing from the Lord and you just wait until you die. He says, there's a straining, a pressing on, a yearning, a longing for more and more and more of Jesus. That sanctification, the process of becoming more like Jesus, Right? It's not just something we do because we're supposed to. It's because we experience more and more of life as we lean further and further into the gospel. So Paul has walked us through that, that he's longing for that, and he implores his people to follow his example and also be longing for more and more and more life in Jesus. And, and he ends it by saying this way, reminding them that their citizenship, this is in 320, is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. So what Paul's saying is as you, you deal with stuff in this world, and you're, he's talking to a people that are very likely under persecution. If not, it's coming soon. Paul told them earlier, hey, I'm in jail. It's probably going to end up for being the case for many, many of you. And so this is not just a flippant saying. That Paul, like This is real talk for these people that are facing real persecution. And he says, listen, as you're worrying about all that, and that's very real emotions and pain and, and concern, he says, you need to remember that, these powers, this world, they're not authoritative over you. Your citizenship as a child of God is one of heaven. And we're waiting Jesus to come back come from heaven and, and set all things to rights here on earth. And he says, and that is our hope. Because in verse 21, he says, He'll transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So Paul has just said, hey, listen. Take joy, keep leaning in, wanting more of the gospel, and don't forget, it's going to be hard. Okay? Paul, listen, the scripture never promises this easy, rich, filled, prosperous life. Like, in fact, Jesus says, you come follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross, deny yourself, and it's going to be hard. Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Like, Jesus never, like, many people start following Jesus or coming to Christianity, and they think, okay, if I do this, then my life's going to be good and right. And then they, they feel like they've been gypped whenever they, they realize life's still hard, right? And, and circumstances still come, and, and diagnosis still happen, and, and um, you know, 
paycheck's still the same, and all of those things, bills aren't getting, like, all of those things are still there. And, and we think that, you know, Jesus has come to fix all those things. He says, no, no, the world's still going to be really hard, but you could take heart because I've overcome the world. Because I've overcome the world, you will overcome the world through me. And so Jesus, Paul's reminding them, hey, you need to remember how all this ends. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be hardships. But you need to remember the end. And remembering the end will help you live in the present. Remembering where this is going and what our future holds will inform how we live and how we trust and how we have peace in the present. So Paul is pointing back to that and saying, listen, one day Jesus is going to come back, transform our, our lowly bodies into glorious ones, and judge the living and the dead. All things will be put right. So therefore, because of that, now we get back to four. He says, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And then he goes into this, this seems to really not fit with the rest of it, but, but uh, he's, again, he's, he's wanting them to rejoice. He's wanting them to lean into more and more of the gospel. And earlier he says, hey, don't, like, watch out for legalists. Watch out for these people. And then he's saying, okay, also watch out for relational tension and conflict. And so he, he calls two women out and says, hey, Tell them to agree with each other. And those of you that are around them, don't keep perpetuating the problem and talking to them. Oh, yeah, so-and-so. No, no, no. Help them. Help them come to agreement. Right? This is what he says in verse 2 and 3. He says, listen, tell them to agree with one another, to come, like, to realize there's a bigger purpose in life. We don't need to stop and fuss about things that ultimately won't matter in the end. Instead, remember the gospel. Labor toward that end. That's what he's saying in verses 2 and 3. And so that's not going to be the focus of our, of our time together today, but it, it is related because a lot of what's going to lead to um, anxiety and worry is going to be relational conflict, right? And so many times what we do is we, we, uh, we replay the conversation over and over in our head or we replay their words or we wonder what they're thinking or do they... I had this this week with one of our elders. Like we were, we were sending emails and then I got this reply and I was like, wait, like I, I'm not sure... Like, he may be mad at me. So I just, you know what? And I started to stew on it. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to call him. Like, hey, man, we good? He goes, yeah, what do you mean? And I was like, well, I read that. He goes, no, I didn't mean that. I was just, sorry. I was typing fast. And it totally changed. Like, we need, and so really what, what Paul's saying is here, get in there and figure it out. Like, come to agreement and move on. Don't let your anxiety, like, build up and, and tear you up. Because that's what it'll do. Before you know it, you've had 14 fights with him in your mind. You haven't even talked to them. And you hate each other now, right? In your mind, right? You're ready to throw down, or as uh, one teenager taught me recently, it'd be on site next time you see him. It's on site. It's on site. I'm learning vocabulary. Like, man, I didn't know it was offensive to reply with K um, in a text message. It is. If you don't know, I'll tell you. Find a young person. I'll tell you later. I, I was learning all kinds of things. But anyway, so before you know it, you've had the fights in your mind, and you're ready to, like, throw down with this person. And meanwhile, you, you, like, you just need to engage out of love. Go to him. Speak to him. Don't, like, so that's kind, of a, that's kind of a bonus to this, this passage saying, hey, don't let relational tension and strife and wonder, all that, get in there, come to agreement. Church, Paul's, Paul's calling them, he says, listen, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together. Help them remember what life is all about. Help them remember the big things in life and that they don't need to be caught up in these little things. So what, again, church, don't be perpetrated, like, Keeping the, go- the gossip going, don't be, you know, taking sides. Like, you should say, you, we should find ourselves saying things like, well, I think so-and-so might want to tell that story themselves. Or, have you talked to them directly? Right? When someone comes to you and starts talking about someone else, you should potentially say, hey, I love you, but have you talked to that person? No? I don't really feel comfortable. Like, I'm, I don't really feel like I'm part of the problem. I'm not a part of the solution. So, you know, I love you. I'll go with you if you want, but you need to talk to that person directly. 
that sounds countercultural, right? Like everybody's like, whoa, that's really bold. It's really not. Like it's really just loving, right? It's not that revolutionary. It's just like, hey, be mature. Go talk to that person and find a resolution. So Paul, Paul in, in, you know, implores them to do that. And then he goes on. He says, okay, don't get caught up in relational strife. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. It's all about joy for these people. Paul says, listen, God is getting glory, and he wants you to have joy. Rejoice, 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 rejoice. This all started. He started to say all this in, in 3.1, rejoice in the Lord. He got sidetracked. Oh, yeah, don't forget about this and this and this. He's back to it, and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, again. Paul said earlier, it's not a problem for me to repeat things to you because you don't seem to be getting it. It's good for you. It doesn't bother me. We need to hear it over and over again. And what Paul says is rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. What do you mean by that? Your reasonableness be known. Like, what he's saying is, like, we should have a certain posture about us as Christians where the world doesn't rock us back and forth and relational tension and strife and political atmospheres and all these things. We don't have highs and lows based off what's going on around us. Like, we are secure. Our hope is in the Lord. And so, therefore, we have a posture of reasonableness. We don't have to get defensive and, and jump in there and defend our own. Like, like we're, we're worried about Jesus. Like, and Jesus has got us. So if that person has a problem with me, like, I can humbly go to them. So we have reasonableness about us and about our circumstances because of who the Lord is. And that's what he says. The Lord is at hand. We're going to come back to that. He says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. So therefore, don't be anxious about anything. Now, listen, that's a big claim, Right? Don't be anxious about anything. Listen, anxiety and worry. Um, listen, fear, um, fear, and things like like you can't really help having fear and emotion, right? Like those 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 are things that happen to you sort of involuntarily, and you can't help to be afraid. But to to worry and to have anxiety, those are choices. What Paul's going to talk about is like, hey, he's not saying don't be anxious about anything. And so then some of you are like, man, I'm anxious all the time, so I must not fit into this whole Christianity thing. Paul's saying, listen, I get it. There's other times in in, uh, his letter to the Corinthians where he's saying, listen, we've been through some stuff, right? Like ships have been crashed. People have thrown rocks at me until they thought I was dead. Uh, I got bit by a snake. I've been poor. I've been locked up. Paul says, listen, I get it. I've been perplexed. I've been, I've been like pushed down, wondering whether I can keep going, but I'm not crushed. And I keep moving on because those things don't define me. And I know how this all ends and I have hope in the Lord. So what he's saying is not diminishing what you're feeling in the moment whenever you have anxiety, whenever you have fear. He's saying, don't let that lead to anxiety because that's a choice where you're choosing not to trust him. But we'll get into more of that. But he says, don't be anxious. You need to hear that. Like, the first point is, God doesn't want us to be anxious. He actually commands us not to be. He forbids us to be anxious. You need to hear that as a word from your father. And you're going to need to lean in and ask him, what do you mean by that, Lord? But he says, don't be, like, God doesn't want us to be anxious. Jesus unpacks this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34, where he goes through this whole beautiful passage about that very thing. Hey, don't be anxious. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. And he uses these beautiful word pictures. He said, hey, take the bird that, you know, it's in the air. They're not anxious and storing up. They, they, they just trust the Lord to provide, and he does. Take the flower in the field, right? They're, they're not anxious and worried about whether, and God adorns them with this beautiful, um, beautiful clothing that, so that everybody is in awe of them. He says, listen, God's going to take care of the, the birds of the air, 
How much more is he going to care about you? Jesus says, we don't want that. I don't want you to be anxious. Right? I, I don't want that for you. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, he says, listen, cast your anxieties, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. The whole, come to me, ye who are weary and heavy laden. So, anybody else memorize stuff in King James and then it just comes back out later, right? Like, I'm sorry. That, it'll say something different if you read it in this Bible. But come to me, those of you who are burdened and tired, and, and I'll give you rest, Jesus says. I'll give you rest. He cares about us. He sees us. He, he sees our heavy load. He sees your heavy heart, your broken heart, and he says, come to me. He says, you could, I'll take that from you. It's, bar- it's weighing you down. You're barely making it, and I know that. He says, it's okay. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to get stronger first. You don't have to get it all. He says, no, no, come give it to me. Come give it to me. Think about it. The Lord is he's our good father, and he doesn't want us to be anxious. As, a, as If you have kids, you know this. Like, or anybody you love or care about, and you see them get anxious, what, what does that do for you? Like, you, you want to take that from them, right? Like, you want to engage. You want to... You help them carry that. You want them to understand that, no, no, I got you. Like, and and you, you feel that. Well, God feels that towards you. He feels that towards you. He sees your pain. He sees your anxiety. He sees your nerves. sees your worry. And he says, hey, hey, that's not the life I want for you. I know things are hard. And listen, he says, I may not fix it the way you want it to be fixed, but I'm going to be right here with you. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. That's good news for us. Remember, it's all about his glory and our joy. And you got to think about this. Like, if you, because some people are like, man, I just don't know if God actually cares about me, right? I, like, I don't know, like, I brought this on myself or I, whatever. Like, we start, like, putting qualifiers on it and thinking, well, okay, it can't apply to me. Listen, you need to understand, it's like God doesn't want us to be anxious because it doesn't look good on God, right? Like, if we're his people and we're anxious and nervous and worrying about everything, what, what does that tell the world about, about God? Right? So this is all about like God is simultaneously pursuing both his glory and our joy. And there's beauty in that because those things aren't different. They are the same thing. As he gets glory, we get joy, and it's good for us. So God does not want you to be anxious. So what do we do about it? What, what, what's the answer then? That, that all sounds good, Jordan, but I'm still anxious, right? Well, Paul goes on to say this. But in everything, verse 6, by prayer and supplication... With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So what's, what's, the, what's the solution? He says, listen, what, whatever your requests are, whatever's on your heart, whatever, like bring them to the Lord. It's what we just talked about, First Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares, your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. He says, listen, Jesus bought you access to the throne of God. It says, by his blood, we now have access to approach God in his throne room and ask for mercy, ask for help in our time of need. We are foolish if we don't utilize that, right? We are foolish to stay outside of God's presence and try to fix stuff on our own so that we can come to him and feel better about ourselves. He says, no, 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 I know you're broken. I know you're struggling. Come to me. Jesus made a way so that you could come to me, come to the Father and receive help in your time of need. That's what Paul is saying. He says, bring your anxieties to to the Lord. Let your request be made known to God, and then verse 7, he says in this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
So you bring your request, you pray, you lay your burdens, your needs, your things you can't control, the things that are dominating your mind, you bring them to the Lord. And Martin Luther says, you bring them to the Lord, let him worry about it. Let him do the worrying. Like, it ain't going to gain you anything. You can't control it, you can't fix it. So let him worry about it. Bring your anxieties, bring your request to the Lord. And many of you are like, man, I tried that. And it's still dominating my thoughts, right? Like, this is where it's like, okay, yeah, that all sounds good, but... I'm still worrying. I'm still nervous. I still have anxiety, right? Anybody else? You've been there. You prayed. You did your thing. You, you, you maybe even journaled, right? You're like, ah, but I still, like maybe it lasted five minutes. Like, so, so what do we do? And here's, here, Paul is going to get really practical with us, and here's what he's going to say. Verse 8, finally, brothers, here's what you do. Bring it to the Lord and then do this. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What does he mean? What does he mean? He says, listen, you want to get over your anxiety, you want to stop worrying, what you need to do is start rejoicing. Start rejoicing. That's how this all started, right? Rejoice. The Lord, again, I say rejoice. He says, listen, take your cares to the Lord. It's not that he doesn't care. He sees him, he knows him, bring him to him. And then whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is excellent and worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about it. You can't worry and rejoice at the same time, right? If you're rejoicing like that, worry's going to fall away. Like rejoicing is anxiety's kryptonite. Like it, it, they can't coexist in the same world. And so what Paul says is, listen, you want to get over your anxiety, you want to stop worrying? Start thinking about what is actually good. Take a, have a posture of gratefulness. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, think about these things. It's practical. Think about these things. As you're saying, just think about what's good. Yeah, it matters. It actually changes things. Right? Um, listen, common science and, and social people are studying our, our body. Like there's all kinds of self-help books. You're going to find this type of thing in there, like people are saying, well, if, if you actually have this posture of gratefulness, you, it turns out you're actually happier. If you practice being thankful for some things, you'll be happier. And these people are far removed from the Bible. They're just saying, here's what I've observed in my own life. When I'm thankful for things, I'm less unhappy, right? I'm more content. Uh, Tim Ferriss, who is a studier of all things human and writes some weird stuff, but man, he's, he is, is observing people uh, at every high level of business, business sports, performing, uh, all these things. He's written a lot of books, and, and here's what he says. He's gotten successful himself, and here's what he says. He says, if you're not happy with what you have, you might not ever be happy. What do you think about that? He's saying, if you're not happy with what you've got right now, there's a good chance you're not ever going to be happy. Because happy is not about what you have. Because there's always going to be somebody that's got more. This is coming from a guy who has become a millionaire a few times over, and he's noticing amongst his friends that people are just fussing all the time. Like He, he almost says there's a correlation between how much money people have and how unhappy they are. So he's, so he's saying, listen, you've got to learn to be content with what you have. If you ever want to be content, you need to start right now. Not, oh, I'll be happy when I get this. No, you won't. No, you won't. Because then there'll be another thing you want, right? We know this, right? I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But we don't believe it. We don't, we don't live in it. We don't let it affect our heart, right? But this is what he's saying. You're not happy with what you got. You probably, 
never going to get there just by getting more and more stuff. And so he'll recommend things like, um, like the five-minute journal. It's a, it's a, it's a popular-selling little book that, that sets you up to kind of start each day and end each day reflecting on what, on what is good. Right? And so they say, hey, write three things you're grateful for today. Do it every day, and you'll see a difference. People are talking about meditation. You got, you got people that are in weird work, like Tony Robbins and some other. They're saying all this stuff and like, hey, learn to be grateful. Think about what you do have. And we tend to go, well, that's, that's this weird, you know, that, like we don't want to mix that with, you know, with Christianity and like self-help stuff. And, 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 and listen, all that's true. We need to be careful that we're not turning Christianity into self-help stuff. But a lot of times what we'll see is these people that are studying, you know, human behavior, studying emotions, studying psychology, things like that, is they're stumbling on God's truth. They don't know it. They're just saying, hey, here's what I've observed about human, you know, nature and my own nature. Whenever, what God's saying is, yeah, yeah, I told you that. Like, I know that your, your mind, your emotions, the, the, uh, the, like the chemicals within your brain are wired to affect you in such a way that whenever you think about what you're actually thankful for and what is good, it actually... It, it gives you a shot of, you know, whatever, like it makes you happy. Like you, you begin to see an actual difference. Like God's not scared of us studying the body and coming up with these things. He's like, yeah, yeah, keep studying it. You'll find I've got all kinds of brilliant ways that I've wired this stuff, and it's awesome. So come at, like God's not afraid of that. But listen, you need to understand that. So, okay, being grateful, rejoicing, anxiety is kryptonite. Has a, has a Reverse effect on our nervousness, on our worry, rejoicing. But here's the deal. It takes practice. It takes practice. So this is not one of those things where you're like, all right, I'm going to sit down this afternoon, and I'm going to think about what's good, right, excellent, worthy of praise. And when I do that, I'll have peace, and I won't worry anymore, right? Right? Wrong. Paul says, verse 9, what we've learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He says, practice these things. You're going to get it right. Just the first, like, It's not just a one-time dose, and you're all good. This is more like, like practice these things. Work these out. Like, stay in it. It's a lot more like going to the gym or eating healthy than it is just taking a one-dose thing that's going to cure some disease. Like, You go to the gym one day and come back home and look in the mirror. What you see is just like, well, that, that didn't work. Still got a gut, right? Or I'm still skinny. Whatever it is, like, that didn't work. I don't see no muscle. Whatever, like, you eat healthy. Eat healthy for a day, get on the scale, and you're like, forget it, right? <laughs> Told you it wouldn't work. Where's the Cheetos? <laughs> because we want instant results, right? And we expect, okay, I'm doing this thing, so that should fix this, this, this problem. No, no, no. But what happens is you go to the gym for a week, two weeks, three weeks. It becomes a habit. You do it every day. Then you look in the mirror or you take your before and after picture if you do that kind of thing. And you look in the mirror and you go, oh, I am seeing a difference. You eat healthy for four to six, seven weeks. Then step on the scale. You'll see a difference, right? So this is a lot like that. We have to, be, we have to put this as a practice in our life where we are thinking about and posturing ourselves to be grateful for what is good in our life. And listen, here's why. Our world is set up to make us discontent. You realize that? Capitalism thrives on making us discontent. 
right? How are they going to sell a new iPhone if they don't make you feel like your old one is junk? Right? And that's what they do. Create, you get the newest one, and then you, they're creating a newer one. You're like, well, dang, this one's no fun anymore. Realize all it does is, like, see your face now. Everything else is the same as the other one. But we got to have that, right? Got to have it. It creates this need in us. Like, I, I feel like I'm missing out on life if I don't have this or this car, right? This car, this car has a camera, so when I'm backing up, I can see all these things. And it's like, all right, cool, but I could turn around too, or I got my old one had mirrors, but like we feel like our car's junk because it doesn't have a, a backup mirror. Fill in the blank, it doesn't have this emblem, doesn't have this thing. Like capitalism, just it's just what it's meant to do. That's how that's marketing, that's what they do all day is figure out ways to make us want stuff, right? Behind wanting stuff is this feeling of discontentment. The stuff I have is not good enough, right? It's what our world is going to do to us. And so the natural drift in our life is going to be toward discontentment. It's going to be toward worry. It's going to be toward I don't have enough. I don't have, I don't have control enough. I don't have enough stuff. I, I don't know how this is going to work out. Like We're going to, to drift that way if not given some grounding in our hope in the Lord. And this is what Paul is saying is, hey, you need to make a habit, not just bringing your prayers to the Lord. That's a good thing. Let your supplications, your requests be known with thanksgiving. Do that. He says, hey, when you get done with that, start thinking about what's good, what's right, what's worthy of praise. What it, you ever been around somebody like that? They just can't, like, all they talk about is a negative. All they talk about is what's wrong. Like, can you say something positive? But listen, again, our new, like, news what sells is what's wrong in the world, right? Like, you get like one spot per news showing of like a positive, the unsung hero thing, right? Or, or, uh, or whatever, right? The rest of it's all what's gone wrong today. Where's the conflict? So if we don't, if we're not intentional about this, like our world will overrun us with negativity, with discontentment, and with fear. It's practical, this is practical. What Paul says is practice these things. Make a habit of being a person who brings your cares to the Lord, prays to him, and then leaves them there, and then goes and thinks about what is good, what is right. And, and listen, here's, the, here's, what it, here's what it leads to. It says, and the, and the God of peace will be with you. Verse 10. Okay, so what Paul's going to say is, he says in verse 9, what you've learned, received, and heard in me, practice these things. What you've seen, like Paul's saying, you think it's, like, everybody's talking about, man, Paul's in prison, and he's not even upset. Like, he's okay. He's saying, it's all right if they kill me. That's cool. I get to go be with Jesus. If, if they don't, then that's cool. I get to go, you know, plant some more churches, and people try to kill me some more. That's all good. Like, it's all, like, Paul has this posture, and everybody's in awe of it. And he says, listen, you've seen me model these, you've seen me do these things, so follow me. Don't sit back and look and say, oh, well, that's just that's the preacher. Of course, he's going to live that way. But, you know, in my life, I still got bills to pay and whatever. Like, he doesn't know my problems. Paul says, no, no, no. Listen, I know your problems. I've been there. I've had them too. Rejoice in the Lord and follow my example. And Paul's going to give them a really practical example, which leads us to the famous verse we joked about in the beginning. He says this, verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now uh, you at length. So, Paul's in prison. They've tried to get him a gift, and it wasn't like they didn't have like two day Amazon Prime shipping stuff where you can just, or you know, USPS, you drop it in the mail, pay for extra, you know, 
um, express shipping, and it'll get there tomorrow. Like, the postal service wasn't quite that efficient. You, send, you hand somebody a package, say, hey, take this to Paul, and when he gets there, he gets there. In this, in this case, like, Epaphroditus got sick. He almost died. Things got delayed. So they're trying to help Paul, and it doesn't get to Paul for a long time. But what Paul says is it's okay. Like, it didn't bother me because I, I know you were concerned for me. You, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Like, you couldn't help it. You couldn't get the gift there. Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, I was fine, for I have learned in whatever situation to be content. This is Paul sitting in a prison saying this, chained to a guard, saying, I'm good. I got, I, I got it. Like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have the gift you got me. I'd love to have those clothes and the scriptures and the, the food that, that you're sending me. It's great, but you know what? It's okay. If I don't get it, I, I, I was fine because I've learned to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So he's saying this is just as important for those of you who are flourishing and things are going well. You're in danger of losing your joy if things are going really well and your business is flourishing and your, your paycheck's increasing. He says, listen, your joy is just as much in danger. Like you need to understand joy is not tied to prosperity. It's not tied to circumstances going well. You need to be centered on this. I've learned the secret, Paul said, to having nothing and to having a lot. And here's what it is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All of this leads us back to Jesus. Yes, common science and self-help has stumbled on these truths of having a posture of, of gratitude and thankfulness actually has a positive effect on our life. But listen, it only takes us so far if it doesn't lead us to Jesus. Because the, the main thing that we should be rejoicing in, the main thing that is worthy of our praise, the main thing that is good is that Jesus has saved us. Amen? Like, if you take that out of the equation and Jesus doesn't save and, and this all doesn't end with him winning and extending that victory and that hope to us, then, then really, Paul says, man, we're to be pitied. You're just trying to do better and get some self-help from this Bible. It's like, it's foolish. If the resurrection isn't true, all of this is silly. Y'all should go home. Paul says, no, no, no. So all of this needs to lead you back to Jesus and understanding that the resurrection is true. And what, what, I'm, what I mean by that, if you're here and you're new with us, is that Jesus didn't just come to teach some good things and then he was killed for saying, you know, Jesus came with a mission to enter into our broken world, to live the life that we could not live. We couldn't get it right. We had rebelled, run away from God. The Bible says that everybody is sinful and no one is seeking God. We've all rebelled and that that is what creates this longing. Like we, we don't have what our hearts desire because we were made for God. Our sin has separated us and fractured and broken this world. Jesus enters into the mess. He lives the life that, that we couldn't live. He's perfect. He had no reason for the authorities to put him on that cross, and yet he went willingly, and he died the death that we should have died for our sin. And he died, and he actually went into a, a grave, and he was dead body was dead. He, he drank in the fullness of God's wrath on our behalf so our sins could be forgiven. But because he had never sinned, because he had done nothing wrong, he, the, the evil had no rights over him. Death had no rights over him. So he was raised again on the third day. He conquered death. He conquered our ultimate fear, our ultimate enemy, the thing that keeps us all up because we don't have any control of it. We don't know if we're going to die and, and who's going to take care of our kids. All of those things. Death is the ultimate bringer of anxiety in our life. Amen. And Jesus beat it. Jesus beat it, and he offers us that hope. Paul says, because of that, because I got that, and it doesn't rely on me. 
Paul says, it's not about how good I am or do I lose God's love? Do I lose his favor? Do I lose my salvation? Paul says, no, no. God's got me. He has made me his own, he said in the previous chapter. Because Christ has made me his own, I can be brought low. I can be brought high. It's all good. It's all good. Because I have hope beyond these circumstances. If you're here today, you need to hear very real, personal words from the Lord that he sees your heart. He knows the burdens you're carrying. He knows the shame, the brokenness, the fear, the anxiety, the worry. And he cares for you. He cares for you. So much so that he went to the cross to display without dispute how much he cares for you. He's not holding some back. He's not giving a little and seeing if you'll get it together. No, no. He says, listen, I'll make you my own through giving my own body and my own blood. That's the gospel. Bible says anybody who realizes they need a Savior because they are a sinner and they call on the name of the Lord and says, I believe Jesus, you are that Savior. Would you have mercy on me? Bible says you shall be saved. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll wipe you clean and he'll hold you forever. And in that you can hope to face whatever may come. So in our time of of response, we're going to sing a couple more songs. And we're going to have some folks up here at the front and they'll be ready to pray with you. And they're not here because they've graduated to some varsity level and they're all good now. They're here because they, they know the one who is good. They know the good shepherd. And they love to pray with you. They won't judge you. They're not going to tell, post on Facebook, whatever. Nobody's going to be judging. Oh, I wonder why so-and-so came to the front today. No, no, no. Like we said last week, so-and-so came to the front because they want more of Jesus. So as we... As we respond today. We're going to sing a couple songs. We're going to worship, but this altar is open. We'll have some folks at, at, at each section here would love to pray with you if you would like that. You come and cast your anxieties, cast your cares, cast your, your worries before the only one who can do anything about it, the sovereign Lord of all. Let's pray. God, make this true in our hearts. Give us faith to believe it. Give us courage to respond. We need you, Lord Jesus. Send your spirit. Do work in our hearts. We ask it in your name. Amen.